to the KC City Church Audio Podcast. We pray you enjoy this following sermon. God bless you guys. Um, well, as we start today, we've got a passage in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, it's one of my favorite chapters. It's a real teaching chapter on how to live a successful uh, Christian life, how to live it out, actually, how to live it out. Uh, we'll only cover a small part of it today, but Jesus covers a lot of things in chapter 6. He, he covers the secret of giving. We were just talking about giving a moment ago. So many people give in secret. They give online. Um, but Jesus said, don't even let your left know what your right hand's doing. Mm. You know, give in secret and your heavenly father will, will reward in secret. He rewards in secret. And when we pray, he says, you know, don't pray like the hypocrites. We kind of get that word wrong. It sounds like a, a Christian um, slur against uh, other people. But the hypocrite was simply an actor, someone who would act in a theater. They weren't well looked upon in society back then. Um, but uh, we got plenty of actors around today. But Jesus was simply saying, don't be like the actors. Don't stand in front of people and pray for show. Don't do that. Go into your prayer closet. And then he taught us the what's called the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. What a fantastic teaching. Pastor Larry's been teaching on that. He'll pick up again on it next week. Jesus talks also about fasting. You know, when you're fasting, when you're going without because you're pressing in and seeking God more deeply and you're pressing in, whether it's for revelation or for a breakthrough, whatever it is, you're doing that. Do it in private. Don't, don't fail to take a shower. Don't fail to do your hair and maybe shave your face as a man. A lot of corona beards running around on guys. I know I was growing one. So, you know, but, but don't, don't allow yourself to look like you're fasting. Dress yourself up and, and go and do it. That way your father will see in secret what you're doing and he can reward you. And then in verse 21 of chapter 6, Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I want to use that as a springboard for us to dive into today's message. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. Where the things that you value, that you place value upon, that you choose to value, where, where those things are located is where your heart actually is. And this is a, this is a key, key part of today's message. So Jesus, we're going to go through uh, verses 25 uh, to 34 today. But this principle of our hearts being wholehearted, seeking God with our whole heart, is a very old principle. Yes, Jesus is talking about it in the New Testament, but he's talking about Old Testament principles that have been around for a very long time. Going all the way back to Deuteronomy, where it says, uh, but uh, if from there you will seek me, inquire for, and require as necessity the Lord your God, you will find him if you truly seek him with all your heart and mind and soul. God in invites us to seek him with all of us, with everything. And if we're seeking God with our whole heart, then our treasure is in God. It's stored up safe and sound there. In Jeremiah 24 and Jeremiah 29, we see the principle repeated again. In Jeremiah 29, 13, uh, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with your heart, with your whole heart. Jeremiah 24, 7, then I will give them a heart to know me. 
talking about the nation of Israel. But if you've asked Jesus into your heart, he's already given you and transformed your heart. You have a heart to know him. You are already there. That I am the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God for they shall return to me with their whole heart. I love the way God makes our heart whole and then he asks us to pursue him with it. To pursue him with all of our heart that he's transformed and that he's given to us. In the psalm, Psalm 119.2, in the NIV, it says, Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. And I love the way the Amplified Bible renders that seeking. It's to crave him, to crave him. A craving that gets you up and moves you in the direction of the very thing that it is you're, that you're craving. So for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God is inviting us in this passage uh, in Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34. He's inviting us to see beyond what you and I can do with our stuff, with our abilities, to see beyond that and to actually see into what he can do. To see beyond what we can do and to see into what it is that he can do in our lives and through us. One of the repeated patterns you're going to see in this passage is Jesus saying, don't worry. Bob Marley sang a song, Don't Worry. And don't, I won't sing it, but don't worry about a thing. Every little thing's going to be all right. Well, that's Bob Marley's version. But this is Jesus saying, hey, don't worry. And now here, let me tell you all about it. He's going to point us to the birds of the air. He's going to point us to the flowers of the field. He's going to mention the most wealthy and famous man uh, in history up until this time. And he's going to invite us repeatedly not to worry. He's going to ask us, why do we worry? Jesus is trying to set his disciples and those that are listening and us today, set us free from worry. We are not invited to worry. We've been invited into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ to be free from worry, that our heart might be secure, safe, and sound where he is, because that's where our hope uh, is. I'm going to read Matthew uh, 6, 25 to 27. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry. There it is about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body and what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Worrying doesn't add to your life. Worrying takes away from your life. It takes away from your life. I was awakened. Jesus says, look at the birds. Consider the birds. I, I was going to get up, have my alarm set for five so I could get up and just kind of be in the zone to preach a message today. And at 4.45, this blackbird starts singing outside my window, and he's singing his spring song. He's singing his mating song. Beautiful. He's going all over the place with his song. I just had to get up and sing with him. I just had to get up and just praise God with him. What a beautiful thing. That bird, that very creature, welcomed me into worshiping God this morning. When Jesus says, consider the birds, consider the way that they are. They're not worried about what they're going to eat. They're not fretting about that. For God provides to them. There's a key principle tucked in between don't worry and quit worrying, which is your father feeds the birds. Your father knows and he feeds. 
So we don't need to worry about food and about drink and even about our clothes. I was reminded in preparing this message of a time when Jen and I, uh, we were going to the United States to visit some ministries, and we literally left our house with $300 in our pocket and six kids, and we were going to be gone for more than two weeks to the United States. We didn't even know how we were going to get through day one. 300 Australian dollars doesn't convert all that well. It never does. But we were going in faith. And then Jenny broke her foot walking out the door, and it swelled up immediately. And I asked her, do you want to go or do you want to stay? Where's your faith at? I wanted to know how her faith was within her. How is your faith within you? Because her faith is what was really going to matter. And I was going to believe with her in whatever she was going to believe. And she said, we're going. We got on the plane. Her foot swelled up. We got through all of the air ports. Her foot was really swollen and painful and turned in different colors. And two days later, we walked into a Sunday service at a church, and they were teaching about finances. We were talking about giving earlier. They were teaching about finances. John Avanzini was teaching about tithes and about offerings. It was really quite a boring message. It wasn't anything spectacular. There was no altar call. We're sitting there listening to it, and in the middle of this, we have a manifestation of God says he'll confirm his word with signs and wonders and miracles. Jenny, in the middle of this message, she starts elbowing me. Her boot that was laced out, the laces were out to accommodate the size of her ankle. Laces out. She's elbowing me. And she says, look, her ankle was normal. Her boot was still laced out, but her ankle was normal there. She was completely healed. It wasn't discolored. It wasn't swollen. And it ended just like that in the middle of a message on finances. God knows how to meet your needs. We came home with $150 more than we went with. And we went to places in the United States we never would have gone if we'd had the money in our bank account to go where we wanted to go. Having to trust God meant he took us to places that we wouldn't have necessarily known to go. There's a great benefit in not worrying. There's a great benefit in trusting God. And Jesus is trying to help us out here to actually learn from what we can see. You know, Jesus actually corrects people in the scripture when they're doubting, when they're not too sure. And he says, look, if you're not going to believe me for what I'm saying and for what you already know of scripture and what you already know of the word, if you're not going to believe me for that, then believe me for the miracles. It's okay for you to see and to believe. You've got that phrase, seeing is believing. Well, for some people, seeing is believing. For some people, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Today's word might be enough for you, but maybe you need to go out and consider the birds. And maybe you need to consider the, the, the flowers as well, which we're going to get to in a second. Philippians 4, 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. I love it in Luke 10, 41. You have the two sisters, Mary and Martha. I love Mary and Martha. They, they remind me of Heckle and Jekyll a little bit. You know, the comedy duos um, back in the black and white movies, TV in the U.S. You got Amos and Andy and people like that. Plenty of duos, but you got Mary and Martha. And I imagine Martha, she's in the kitchen banging pots and pans a little bit extra louder as she's laboring away because Mary, her sister, isn't helping out in the kitchen, but rather she's sitting at the feet of Jesus, a place in that society that was only reserved for women, for men. Women were not allowed at the feet of a rabbi. And yet Jesus has her sitting there at his feet. Oh, Jesus did so much for women. 
He elevated women at every chance. The woman at the well, amen. And he listens to Martha's complaint, and I'm sure he had heard her banging the pots and pans, and he comes out with, listen to the love and the familiarity in this. Listen to the friendship. Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. Hey, Martha, you got a long list of things that you're wearing yourself out worrying about. And then he goes on to say, hey, Mary has chosen, and she's chosen well, and what she's chosen will not be taken away from her. You having your worry, Mary, is not going to cause me to tell Mary. Uh, Martha is not going to cause me to tell Mary to go and help you out in the kitchen. He's inviting Martha to quit worrying. Hey, drop that list in the sink, Martha. Why don't you come in here and pull up another spot on the ground next to your sister? Why don't you do that? What an invitation. I love the way Peter puts it in 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast your cares on him, who? The Lord, because he cares for you. God actually cares for us. He not only provides, but he actually cares. He's motivated by the greatest love you and I will never ever know to provide for us. God is so, so faithful. In verses 28 to 30, it says, And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, and yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. I love this little phrase, oh, you of little faith. You should look it up and see where it pops up in Scripture. It's really quite a loving statement. It's not a put down. It's a loving statement. In its context, it reminds me of when I first held Joseph in my hands. Got to do this without having to take my glasses off and wipe my nose. When I first held him in my hands... I was just praying over him, declaring he was going to be a good man. (laughs) He was going to be a gentle man of gentle strength and great kindness. And anyone who knows Joe knows that's who he is. He was so little, and he was none of those things. He was a great cost with the nappies. He only ever made bad smells. He kept us up late at night, and he ate everything in sight. But he grew, amen? He grew up into a full stature. When Jesus says, oh, you of little faith, he's really saying, oh, you whose faith is going to grow. Oh, you whose faith is getting bigger. Oh, you whose faith is going to be challenged, but it's going to have a good outcome. So why do you worry? Jesus is directing them to Solomon. This would have been huge for these guys. Huge for these guys. And Solomon, we can see in 1 Kings 10 and also in 2 Chronicles, we see uh, get a view of Solomon through the eyes of a queen, a great wealthy person herself, the queen of Sheba. 
She came and visited Solomon. She had heard about all of his wealth and everything that this man had. He was the wealthiest man on the planet at the time, one of the wealthiest guys in history. She was blown away by the house that he built for God, how beautifully it was built and adorned, the food that was on his table, the seating arrangements, the very gold gilded chairs, the golden cups and the golden plates that were there, and the very entryway. He could walk from his palace to the house of God that he had built, the temple of God. He could walk across a great high walkway. He didn't have to go down and back up again. He could walk straight across. She was breathless at what she saw. Jesus is saying even Solomon in all of his splendor, the best that a man can achieve in his own wealth, in his own wisdom, in his own power, in his own strength, the best that he can achieve is nothing compared to these flowers. Check out the flowers. What an amazing thing. You look at the DNA that's in a flower, each seed reproducing according to its kind. You look at the structure and the pattern and the colors and the DNA, billions of letters, characters long, describing this thing. And it replicates in every cell, in every cell, in every cell, in every cell. We call that design. We call that evidence of of an intelligence of a creator, hallelujah. We can discover more about God by looking at his creation. You look at Isaac Newton, whom we, one of the guys, main guys, one of the 11 guys we owe science, science which everyone worships nowadays, started because they were looking at God's word, Isaac Newton and Kepler and guys like these. They were looking at God's word and then they were looking at nature and seeing order and structure. They were looking at the created things and they could see the fingerprints of the creator and they wanted to know more about him. They were loving his word. Isaac Newton wrote one of the longest commentaries on the book of Isaiah that you're ever going to read. It's magnificent. The English is a little bit rough to get through, but it's really awesome. You can go and read it. This man was in search of God. He wasn't looking to disprove God with science. He was trying to come up with methods of discovering truths about God by looking at the world around him. We owe science to these guys today. Johannes Kepler, mathematician. What was he doing? Well, he gave us the mathematics that NASA uses when we send probes to other planets. He was searching for what that wandering star was that those wise men were following. He was trying to work that out, spent most of his adult life trying to discover that and the mathematics that he discovered in relation to the effect that moons have on planets as they move in the night sky. Copernicus had discovered the movement of the planets and described it mathematically. Kepler described the permutations that occurred because of the moon. These guys were in search of God. They wanted to know more about God, and by looking at the world around them, their faith was built up. Jesus directing us to look at the birds and the flowers is one of the best things we can do. And this phrase, this loving phrase of, O ye of little faith. Let's see some places where it shows up. In Matthew 8, verse 26 when the waves and the winds and they're on the boat and we're going to die. Jesus, don't you care that we're going to die? And he gets up and he says, why are you fearful? Oh, you of little faith. And he calms the wind and he calms the waves. You know, 
at the 2017 at our carols, we weren't supposed to have fireworks because the wind was blowing. Our fireworks guy, Tony Findlay, came to me and said, we're not going to be able to have fireworks if the wind keeps blowing. And I just felt it within me. I, I just declared it in faith. I said, Tony, the wind's going to stop about 15 minutes before you need to pull the trigger on the fireworks. It's going to be dead calm. It's going to be perfectly fine. He laughed at me and said, okay. And the wind that was blowing really strong that day, 15 minutes before, stopped. God knew we had need of the wind stopping, and he provided that. That's nothing to do with me. But this calming the wind and the waves in the name of Jesus, we have power in that name. We have authority in that name. Our faith can grow because of him. Amen. Matthew 14, 31. The walking on the water. Peter walked on the water. I haven't tried that one yet. I haven't stepped out of a boat just yet. I like boats. I like flotation devices. But Peter stepped out and he actually walked on the water for a little bit and then he began to sink. Lord, help me. I'm perishing. Lord, help me. I'm going to go down. And Jesus said, oh, pulled him out, held him to him and said, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Why did you let that worry set in? Why did you let your worry choke out what you were doing? How amazing it was. Oh, you of little faith. Oh, you whose faith is going to grow. Oh, you whose faith is going to grow. Matthew 16, 8. I love this one. They had just seen the multiplication of the loaves and the fishes on at least two separate occasions. Large crowds fed by very little that was just multiplied. Jesus best blessed it, and then they broke it up and they distributed it. And what they collected at the end, the, the, what people could not eat at the end was far more than what they started with. They had watched that miraculous provision. And yet when Jesus said, be cautious about the leaven, the effect, the yeast of the Pharisees and their religion, be careful with that. They thought he was talking about bread and they're like, we don't have any bread. We didn't bring any bread with us. And he's like, why do you reason amongst yourself because you brought no bread, O you of little faith, O you whose faith is going to grow. They had seen those miracles. In verses 31 to 34 of Matthew 6, and we'll start to wrap up with this. Jesus again says, so don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you have need of them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. When Jesus says, don't worry about what you're going to eat, drink, and wear. I mean, consumerism, this, the consumerism of this world revolves around what we eat, drink, wear, what we drive, mm. all of these things. God knows we have need of these things. He's not opposed to us having good food, having good drink, having good clothes, and having cars. He don't, doesn't want us to be so focused and obsessed on it that it distracts us from storing up treasure in heaven, that it distracts our faith. When Jesus said the pagans run after these things, what do pagans do? Well, pagans don't worship the creator. Pagans worship the creation. They worship the things that they see. They covet what other people have. They love money. The love of money is the beginning, the root of, the foundation of all evil that men do. 
loving money. Money's not a bad thing. Money's a useful tool. But if it's what you worship, if it's what you worship, then it's in place of God. God doesn't want anything in His place. He wants to have residence first place in our hearts, in our whole hearts, that He has made well. And then Jesus is really instructing us to do this. Here's the one thing you and I need to do. With our whole hearts, all of it, He wants all of us. He doesn't want some of us. Scripture tells us God is a jealous God. He wants all of us. He's not into competition because He has no competition. He, He has no competition. He says, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. You know, Jesus' invitation for us to quit worrying and to pursue Him with our whole hearts is our invitation to take the faith that we have and to watch it grow, to take it into our relationship with our loving Heavenly Father, to take it into that private place of prayer and pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And to know what every word means, every word a revelation. To fast, to go without the things of this world, the things we actually kind of like, the things that we kind of hold on to. And God wants to loosen the grip that those things have on us. To be able to do that as an act of worship, that whole heart privately before him, to give into the needs of others. And no one knows but him. (laughs) And no one knows but him. Oh, to store up those treasures in heaven, that he would have full dominion in our hearts and in our lives. In Paul's letter to Timothy, the first one in four, chapter 4, verse 8, he says, Bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness or spiritual training is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This faith, this relationship with our God changes everything now and is going to radically change uh, everything then. Mm. Amen.